You are listening to UBC Waco Podcast. <laughs> are you recording? Yeah. Oh, okay. We can use that as just a scratch track for now. Well, hi again. Um, I'm just going to start by saying if you read this week's newsletter, you know that of all of the four themes of Advent, we are about to jump into my very least favorite, which is joy. <laughs> Has it really come to this already? Have I already ran out of edgy sermon material that now I get to stand in front of you all and declare that I hate joy? No, it's not exactly like that. Don't worry also because I have a very deep well of ire that is still untapped that I will share with you over the years. And it isn't specifically joy that I even take issue with. It's the way we've talked about it in the church. So here's a few gems that I've been taught throughout the years, and they might sound familiar to you. Happiness is just a feeling. It's fleeting. Joy, on the other hand, is a state of being. You should always be joyful. Joy is an acronym, and I, I'm so sorry if you have this Hobby Lobby plaque on your wall. I'm, I, I do not mean to offend you. Joy is an acronym. Uh, for the way we are to live our lives as followers of Christ. J, Jesus, O, anybody know this one? (laughs) Y, yourself. Because if you follow Jesus, you always are dead last. Um, Perhaps my least favorite, if anything brings you as much or more joy than Jesus, that is an idol, and it has got to go. I like this one the least because it is used to undermine uh, marginalized population, queer folks, people of color, uh, as they advocate for themselves, and because I was completely unable to reconcile it in so many areas of my life. Try holding your firstborn baby and feeling guilty because you love that little human as much as you love Jesus. Try celebrating your newly earned degree or finding the strength to go to therapy for the first time getting a job offer that you've worked so hard for, and trying to make that make sense. So what I want to do this morning is to reshape the container that we've used to describe joy and explore what it could look like to experience joy in the bated breath of Advent. We have two New Testament readings today because A, Mary has a lot to teach us about joy and anytime we can amplify a woman's voice in scripture, we should. And B, because Paul's instructions, given in absolutes, are unwittingly responsible for some of the really unhealthy theology around joy. So we're going to focus on Paul, which, if I were to guess, would be his preference. In his <laughs> I have a very complicated relationship with Paul. It's okay. In his first letter to the church at Thessalonica, Paul writes, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And my friends, that is a tall order. Thessalonica was the capital city of Macedonia and a faithful vassal state of Rome. For its time, it was a major metropolitan area, population estimates as large as 100,000. It was, and it still is, an important port city, and it's located in modern Greece, Thessalonica had a culturally 
ethnically and religiously diverse population. So most of the people Paul was writing to either came from a polytheistic background or would have participated in the worship of the emperor. Religious practice at the time was regulated, even mandated, because it generated income for Rome. So Thessalonica enjoyed a very favored relationship with Rome, and its governing officials worked diligently to protect the delicate balance that they had established. Unsanctioned religious practices, religious practices that, not, that did not uh, give money back to the government, were often violently oppressed. They threatened to erode the protection that Rome offered to Thessalonica. So 1 Thessalonians, this is an UNO swap, by the way, UNO reverse, because my sermon text is actually going to focus on 1 Thessalonians. Um, it's a unique uh, letter. Uh, if you've had any like cursory familiarity with Paul, you'll recognize that uh, this letter is special because he's not mad at anyone. Um, I know I can hardly believe it myself. In fact, he commended the church of Thessalonica for their love and their diligence and their communal approach to life and faith. They'd endured drastic and deadly responses from their government, their families, and their friends, the people who were supposed to protect them. And in the midst of it, we're still somehow a source of great encouragement and community and hope for Paul. Paul writes to them with an uncharacteristic tenderness. In chapter 2, he writes, but we were gentle among you, like a nurse tenderly caring for her own children. So deeply do we care for you that we determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. If you've occupied any sort of leadership position in your job or in a volunteer organization or in a church, you know how tough it can be to vulnerably share yourself. And that can be true with peers. So for Paul to write, not only did we instruct you, but we lived with you, we loved with you. Um, that's special. That's meaningful. One of my deepest convictions surrounding reading scripture is that context matters especially when we encounter a passage that makes it seem like the thing we're supposed to do might just be impossible, out of reach. If we try hard enough, we can make scripture say anything we want it to, right? We can open up any page, pick a verse, and use it against somebody if that's how we choose to use it. Scripture is not universal. It is not a one-for-one -one application, it requires interpretation, listening, engagement, consideration, and my favorite thing, context. The way we approach scripture can determine whether it is enriching and convicting and instructive and life-giving, or whether it is toxic, suffocating, damaging, and defeating. And unfortunately, many of us have been taught a mix of the two, which wildly complicates the way we relate to scripture as a whole. So we have Paul, and we have this church, and this letter, and this tall order of rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances on my least favorite Sunday of Advent. And what do we do with that? Well, we've looked at historical context. Now we're going to look at some grammatical context. For those who have just finished their finals, I am so sorry. Sorry. 
I'm so sorry to bring school to church. I apologize for my high schoolers. I know you guys are going into finals week, and I am also very sorry. You can tune me out. But Paul's letters are grammatically highly communal, and that really matters to the uh, conversation around joy. We see the word you when we read scripture in English, and because we only have one word, well, I mean, Texans don't have one word for you, right? You guys have y'all. Some of us only have one word for you, for singular and plural. Uh, We read it in the singular uh, because we live in a highly individualistic society that prizes the triumph of the underdog at all costs and ignores the plights of the masses and the oppressed. So when Paul writes you in his letters, it's a really good idea to take that as him talking to a group of people unless specifically otherwise stated. The same is true for the rest of the content of said letter. If it is addressed to the church at fill in the blank, it is a safe bet that his instructions, corrections, and encouragements are meant for everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. These are communal instructions. As a community, find your joy. As a community, keep praying. As a community, give thanks. These were meant to be the underpinning of the community of faith at Thessalonica, an encouragement to keep going in the way of life they had already chosen. And it requires everyone in that community doing what they could, when they could. The burden didn't fall and does not fall on a single person to stay up all night praying until they pass out. Giving thanks in all circumstances. Some of us have the ability or the privilege to be grateful to God today, and others of us have been laid bare by pain and loss. Rejoice, have joy. Oh, friends, (laughs) that can ebb and flow depending on our stage of life or the state of our faith, the condition of our weary souls. Joy, prayer, gratitude, these are for our benefit, but they are also for the benefit of one another as we hold space in our practices for those who are not able to practice in this moment. Joy is deeply, deeply communal. It is not only an individual experience, it is the way we resist the darkness that seeks to overwhelm the people that we love and the community that we love. Paul is teaching the Thessalonians how to stand in the gap for each other in this way. Rejoice always. It's not a demand. It's not a requirement. It is an invitation into a way of life that abides in grace when we can and when we have the capacity. And it is an invitation into a way of life that allows others to abide for us when we cannot. Joy is not an expectation. It is the result of the work of the Spirit of God in our lives together, and it is a gift. It's a gift to us and to one another. Joy is not static. It changes and grows with us as we try to live into a more faithful and authentic relationship with Christ. 
I will say one of the greatest losses that I experienced when I deconstructed my faith, when I picked apart what I had been taught, when I looked at where I had been damaging, was the ease by which I could access joy. I drew my confidence and my sense of well-being from Jesus' words in Luke 10, which without context is a little weird, so buckle up. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name, even the demons submit to us. That's not the part I liked. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. Indeed, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. So this is the good part. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. When I needed a way to escape from the hard things in my life, I would find joy in the idea that one day all of this would be over. My name is written in heaven. I won't have to deal with it anymore. As my beliefs around eternity and salvation and engagement changed, so did my ability to escape into that idea. And I realized that the face and the soul of my joy had been inextricably altered. But now, standing where I am standing, occupying this space together, existing as I do in my relationship with Jesus, I find great relief that joy is communal and that we cultivate and tend to joy together. Some days I have it, and some days I do not. But in some ways, that is joy's purpose. Because what it means is that I need you, and you need me, and that is incredibly beautiful to me. UBC, may we move to a deeper and more communal understanding and expression of joy today as we grow together. May we understand Paul's words to be what they truly were, an invitation, not an obligation. May we look to the Spirit to source our joy, trusting that we are caring for each other and the world when we do. Amen. It's our practice to take some time, allow the Spirit to come, say something new, remind us of something old, correct anything I've said incorrectly. So I invite you to join me in the practice of silence now. <laughs>